Welcome to Common Ground, a talk show encouraging debate and a deeper understanding of hot-button topics in Berlin and beyond. I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi Nelson. Will we be able to afford to retire someday? It's a big question on both sides of the Atlantic, as senior producer Dina El-Sayed reports. Warnings that workers shouldn't count on the government or employers to take care of them in their old age are hardly new in the United States. Most American companies no longer offer pensions, and the government-managed social security program is in danger of running out of money. Gopi Shah Goda is deputy director of the Stanford Institute for Economic Policy Research. She spoke to American broadcaster CNBC last December. Social Security faces a big mismatch between the revenues it's scheduled to take in and the uh, benefits that it's scheduled to pay out. There are similar warnings in Germany, including by Angela Merkel, who says the Grundrente, or basic pension, needs help. The Chancellor argued in a contentious Bundestag session in the lead-up to the 2017 election that politicians were wrong to tell people that payouts can continue in the future without more taxes. She added that her government has encouraged companies and employers to come up with alternative solutions to the growing retirement crisis. Some financial advisors in Germany echoed her concerns during a ZDF TV program last year on what young Germans need to do so they can afford to grow old. One says the biggest challenge for her is to motivate young people to start thinking about retirement and to put aside money now. Another says young people want to spend money on their families and real estate, and it's hard for them to focus on saving the money they will need in their old age. But others in Germany insist it's the government's responsibility to provide for older people. This month, the left party upped its pressure on Merkel's cabinet to provide full pensions to retired workers from eastern Germany, as promised by the former communist regime. The pandemic is also pressuring millions of people to retire earlier than planned. And many of those who are not retiring are using savings to cope with financial hardships during the global economic slowdown. So will generations of workers in Germany and the United States be able to afford to retire someday? And what steps should they take so they don't end up living in poverty? That was senior producer Dina El-Sayed. Joining me via Zoom from Germany to answer those questions and more are Ilka Huben, head of pensions policy at the German Insurance Association, Michael Heuser, research director of the German Institute for Wealth Creation and Retirement Insurance, and from New York, we are joined by Megan Lenhart, senior money reporter with U.S. broadcaster CNBC. Welcome to Common Ground. Thanks for having us. Hello. Happy to be on the show this afternoon. Thank you so much for the invitation. Ilka, let's start with the current situation on this side of the Atlantic. Can Germans live on their Grundrente, or basic pension? The the basic pension, as it says in the name, isn't meant to really be the baseline for everything. So without any additional savings, without any occupational pensions, um, probably the basic pension might still not be enough. The aim is to be independent of social welfare, which is a good aim. But for many people, for many households, this still might not work out. So our recommendation would be to start early with additional savings and to try to keep up with it throughout the whole um, working life. 
So do you have a sense, though, of how many are just living on the Grundrente or basic pension alone? And if they are, what are they doing to supplement their income at this late stage? So this basic pension has just been established last year. So basically, there cannot be so many people living on Grundrente actually right now. So this is more for the future pensioners um, than for the current um, generation. Of course, there will be some who will be already entitled to profit from it. Sorry, your second question was how how we can enhance um, additional um, savings. Was that correct? Uh, right. Like what are people doing uh, to, let's say they're, they're already retired. What are some of the things they're doing in order to supplement their income? Well, some people still do work. Um, this is not, I think, as widespread as we can observe that in the U.S., for instance. Some luckily do not have to rely only upon the statutory pensions, but dispose of rental objects or have different sources of income at age, especially if you consider the household situation. For instance, this basic pension is aiming at women who had a more or less also unstable work life, which means often they are protected in a family context. So there are different ways of adding certain um, aspects to the basic pension. If you are um, just dependent on basic pension, you can't really make high jumps with that. So it's better to um, to be in a family context or to um, have some additional wealth aspects in mind. Michael, what percentage of future retirees here in Germany will have to supplement their government or company-provided pension, provided, of course, the pensions even still exist? Let me quickly explain the German system, because it is important to understand that. We have in Germany a three-pillar system. So we have this, as already mentioned, this mandatory state pension system, where roughly 90% of all people in Germany are insured for their retirement pension. We have additionally a voluntary company pension system where roughly 60% of the Germans get additional retirement pensions. And finally, we have a government incentivized private provision uh, the so-called Riesterrente, where again 20% of all Germans get additional money uh, in their retiring phase. And then comes on top of that, the private savings, houses, retirement insurances, and these things. So uh, if we look into the figures, into the data, we can see that roughly 15% of the retiring people need additional money, additional support to make their life when they don't work anymore. One five percent, that is the rough figure. And is that number, I mean, are future retirees going to have to do this more and more? I mean, it's something that's pretty common in America, which Megan and I will talk about in a moment. But I'm just wondering, is this a trend that's headed in that direction in Germany? Or can people count on their companies and on the government to take care of them when they get older? Well, I'm, <laughs> I mean, that that is a... Uh, let me put it that way, a challenging question, because we will have general elections this year in Germany. 
Um, meaning that it probably depends also partly on what government we will get over the next four or five years, because this will be the period where very important political decisions have to be made. I would guess, yes, people can rely on the pension system we have right now, but I think it is important, especially for the younger people, to build up a fourth pillar, fourth column, and that is their private provision for their retiring time. Well, Megan, as I mentioned, you and I are both American, and we're certainly uh, you know, not counting on the government or employers. I mean, this is something that we've been taught for a long time. I certainly remember back in the 1980s when I was in my 20s uh, being told by employers to open 401ks or similar accounts for tax-deferred retirement savings. So where do Americans stand on providing for themselves for retirement today? I mean, is this a commonly accepted thing? Is this something that people are doing? Or are people in the United States, uh, similar to in Germany, sort of counting on companies and the government to help them out? Well, I think it's a great question and one that we've obviously seen a big shift over the years and certainly since the 1980s. Today, Social Security benefits, which are uh, our government-sponsored pension plan, only account for about $1,500 on average a month. And if you consider that the average American is spending about $5,000 in monthly expenses, you can see that there's quite a shortfall here. And obviously, those numbers are not apples to apples comparisons, but it does highlight that a lot of Americans do end up providing for themselves in retirement. And that's usually through employer-sponsored programs such as 401ks, but that's also, of course, you know, private savings and things like that. Of people saving for retirement in the U.S. today, about 55% are using some kind of employer-sponsored account. 47% have savings in sort of non-retirement accounts. And of course, those groups do obviously overlap. A lot of folks end up having several buckets to retirement, but certainly the onset is that you have you know, your own private savings you will probably have some social security benefits. Of course, there is ongoing discussions around whether or not those benefits will be available in their full capacity for future generations. We do uh, seemingly have a shortfall coming up on some of those funds, but you do have the expectation that you will have to save for your own retirement. You will probably have some kind of benefit from the federal government. And then of course, a lot of folks are working past the traditional retirement age to sort of help out with some of that shortfall. Many Americans these days are working far past the traditional 65 years of age that we consider quote unquote retirement. And actually it is causing some concern because a lot of times there are restrictions on how much you can earn and still receive some of those benefits and you know some of the tax implications there for those sort of post-retirees who are still in the workforce. So, Michael, what about in Germany? I mean, how many people in their 20s and 30s and 40s are actually saving towards their own retirement the way that we do in the United States or we're supposed to be doing in the United States? How many are actually doing it and what percentage of their income should they be actually saving? I would say it's happening more and more. More and more people do it. Our institute publishes the German Retirement Index, where we watch very carefully the attitude of the German population against their 
own retirement and the money they will have uh, after being retired. What we can see is that the awareness increases. We also can see that partly people start saving more and more for this time. If you ask me about the people in the 40s, it happens quite often. They do a lot of private efforts and private activities. If you ask me about the millennials, the people in their 20s, it's not happening so often because they are younger. They only start working at that time. But it's happening more and more. We can see that clearly in the index. We've talked a lot about what people should be doing, individuals, young people. Why have government pensions like, you know, Grundrente or Social Security not kept pace with the amount it costs to retire? And Ilka, you can start and then we'll ask Megan. Well, thank you. This is a very good question. So um, I think in contrast to the American um, system, the basic pension is not supposed to, to cover the whole cost of living at old age. So the general first pillar, as Michael has just described our system, or as the Americans would say, I think that you're talking about the three-legged stool. So for us, the statutory pension, the first pillar of a lifetime having worked as a blue or white collar person, not being self-employed, it's a mandatory system and you are part of social security in Germany. So the baseline you have talked about is really for people who were not able to fulfill a decent um, job life, but for most people with an average uh, work life, I would say, I would call it, which um, the pension system still is the biggest uh, source of income at old age. And it does qualify to be independent of social welfare and to be independent of the basic um, pension you've talked about. So all these basic items like basic pension or social welfare are really the bottom line of um, having a decent life at old age. But the general case is that you get an income of the first pillar. Um, a lot of people get a second pillar income, which means um, being part of occupational pensions. And then there is the third pillar of the private pensions that has to be strengthened, by the way. So what we do observe is the more you save in addition to your statutory pension from the first pillar, the more independent you are at old age and what it takes to um, have a decent living at old age. So what we are striving for as the German Insurance Association really is to have a better legal framework in order to enhance and to stimulate additional um, savings, maybe in the second pillar or in the third pillar. And I think much more can be done in order to really have additional income at old age. So I wouldn't say that the cost of living cannot be brought up at all. But of course, again, you have to start early and you have to keep up um, saving. And as in most countries, this is the same as in the US, social security depends on your work biography. So we see that if people have longer periods of unemployment or haven't worked um, for a longer time, then the more difficult, of course, it becomes to get a sufficient statutory pension. But this is not in general the case. So what we really see is, and I think this is where your question is aiming at, we have like a percentage of 3%, which we would call um, old age poverty, 
amongst elder people at the moment. This is a figure that is much, much lower than for the average population. This figure might increase because of demographics, more people that are poorer now during their um, active life period are just becoming older. So there's a little statistical effect in it, but of course it should be our aim that as less old age poverty um, as possible can be seen in the figures and um, having a decent living conditions for elderly. Let me quickly add an important point, Ilka, you, you've already mentioned it, just to clarify it. The dominant pillar in Germany is this mandatory social security system. And this is what we call an intergenerational solidarity system, a pay-as-you-go system, meaning that the working population is contributing to the system a certain percentage of their salary, of their wages, and the retired people get out the money they need, their pensions out of this same, how do you say, basket, I don't know how you call it, pay-as-you-go. So there is never a huge sum left. There are never big reserves. The working people pay and the retired people get money out. Meaning that this works, of course, only if the working population and the retired people are somehow in balance when it comes to their numbers. And that means, Ilka, that, that is what I would like to add. We don't have so far a mass poverty problem when it comes to old age people. Um, and we didn't have it over the last decades. I mean, since the mid of the last century. The challenge comes over the next decades because, you know, we had after World War II and in the 50s, we had the so-called baby boomer generation. A lot of people, we had it all over the world. And then came this, how do you call it, contraceptive pill, uh, the birth rate decline, uh, meaning these baby boomers didn't have so many children themselves. And these baby boomers from the 50s to the 60s, they now get into their retirement time, uh, meaning that there are many, many, many baby boomers becoming pensioners, wanting money out of the system. And this system has to be financed by their children that are not so big numbers anymore. So the challenge of the system comes over the next 10, 15, 20 years. Okay, Megan, so let's talk a little bit about the U.S. because we certainly have more than three, at least I'm guessing, we have more than 3% poverty among retirees in the U.S. Why has the U.S. government uh, not kept up? I mean, why has Social Security not kept up with the amount that it costs to retire? No, I think you're absolutely right. We definitely have a, a much larger uh, poverty rate among older Americans. Although I will point out that Social Security uh, does lift, you know, a number of Americans above the poverty line. Without Social Security, about 22 million Americans would actually be considered poor. So, you know, it does function, you know, in some respects, you know, rather well, uh, something along the lines of uh 38% of uh, seniors would be um, under the poverty line in the U.S. without Social Security, and only about 10% are with Social Security. Of course, those are a little bit older pre-pandemic numbers, so I would expect those to change considering, uh, you know, the financial upheaval with the uh, COVID pandemic. But setting all of that aside, 
we do see that Social Security um, has not kept up, mostly because of inflation. Some of the inflation uh, math and theorems that we use are, I would say, flawed. I think uh, economists would certainly go into greater detail on, on why that's the case. But certainly, cost of living in the U.S. has obviously just you know increased dramatically over the last 10, 20, even 30 years. We see that, you know, in things like the price of gas, as well as, you know, basic grocery staples. And of course, uh, you know, we do also have the issue of stagnating wages. Um, you know, obviously the Great Recession, as well as this current pandemic have also had, uh, you know, major shifts in unemployment, which of course also affects Social Security. The pot, if you will, that is, you know, being, put into for the folks that are working right now, there's less of it to be distributed if, you know, more are unemployed or other aspects going on with this. But I will also point out, I don't want to get too much into it, but um, like many programs in the U.S., uh, you know, Social Security is a bit of a political football. And there have been obviously quite a few measures over the years to reform Social Security, to improve Social Security. Uh, of course, it does require some agreements on both sides of the political spectrum. And so far, we haven't seen too much of that. Uh, we may see more political movement when you know there becomes a bigger need for it. As was pointed out, it, it is you know one of those situations where we are coming to a point where we may start seeing some shortfalls because there are more folks who are in need of the benefits and are paying into Social Security just because of population demographics. So when that becomes an issue, we may see some additional reform. We're going to take a short break, but when we return, we will talk about how the pandemic has affected retirement plans and what you can do to improve your financial situation when you retire. Stay tuned. I'm Rachel Tausenfreund, one of the hosts of the German Marshall Fund's podcast, Out of Order. Join our conversations with leaders and experts on what the dark side of tech does to democracy, how the pandemic shapes geopolitics, and other topics of global order and disorder. You can find our episodes and miniseries at gmfus.org or wherever you find your podcasts. We are the German Marshall Fund of the United States, strengthening transatlantic cooperation since 1972. Hi everyone, I'm Maurice Frank, editor of the Berliner Zeitung English Edition, which is a proud partner of Common Ground. Is it hard for you to figure out what's going on in Berlin because everything you read or hear is in German? We at Berliner Zeitung English Edition can help, providing you with all the news you can use in English, whether on politics, business or culture. We also offer riveting interviews and commentary. Look for us at berliner-zei. Tung.de/en, or just type in Berliner Zeitung English Edition into your search engine. I look forward to seeing you there. Welcome back to Common Ground. 
I'm Soraya Sarhadi Nelson, and I'm joined via Zoom by Ilka Huben of the German Insurance Association, Michael Heuser of the German Institute for Wealth Creation and Retirement Insurance, and American journalist Megan Lenhart with CNBC. Megan, I want to talk first about how the pandemic in the U.S. has affected retirement. Are people retiring early, or are they spending their savings that they might have intended for retirement to overcome job loss or other pandemic-induced financial difficulties? Thanks. I think this is an interesting question, and quite frankly, we're not quite out of the pandemic yet, so it is a little bit difficult to put any kind of numbers around some of the trends that we're seeing. But I will say that we have seen mass unemployment in the U.S., rates far and above higher than what we saw in the Great Recession. And of course, those are getting a little bit better now, and thank goodness, but it is one of those situations where when you do have higher uh, rates of unemployment, you do have folks who kind of say, who are at a little bit more into their career, perhaps they are at retirement age, poke their head up and say, oh gosh, you know, at this point I may be facing a layoff or, you know, I could retire, maybe I should just retire. Or in fact, they have been laid off and this leads to, you know, perhaps a premature retirement. We certainly have seen some of those numbers. It is a little bit early to tell whether that has been happening on a mass scale or not. But I would also point out that the pandemic has also affected younger generations beyond those just looking to retire more, you know, quickly than perhaps those in their, you know, 40s or 30s or 20s. Uh, we definitely have seen that um, a lot of folks have stopped saving in their 401k, which is, you know, a good measure of what's going on. We've also seen folks that are taking out money from their retirement savings to live on to pay for, you know, debt, medical debt in particular. Obviously, uh, we have a slightly different health system in the U.S. than in Germany. So a lot of times, uh, you know, your average consumer is paying out of pocket in some respect for their medical care. Obviously, COVID has been particularly expensive if you've had a severe case of it, hospitalizations, things of that nature. So we actually have seen quite a bit of folks saying that they've taken out money from their retirement savings, which of course could impact their ability to be able to retire comfortably later in life. Michael, what about in Germany? How has the pandemic affected retirement behavior here? Well, if we look into the data, we can actually see no dramatic effect when it comes to old age people. I would even say that the opposite is the case. We had in July last year a remarkable pension increase of roughly 4% in Germany. So all pensioners get 4% more uh, since last July. I just read new statistics uh, from the European Central Bank about uh, the development of savings and saving rates, important figure for economic behavior. Um, we see that there is a strong increase in savings rates all over the age groups in Germany, the age cohorts, but the strongest increase is in the cohort above 65. Meaning so far, Germany has quite well managed the pandemic situation when it comes to its old age people, to its retired people. That will be different and that is my guess for the future because right now, 
we stabilize our pension systems by a lot of federal grants, a lot of federal money from the taxpayers. And combined with this uh, demographic development, we will not be able to do that in the long run in the future. So the problems we will see because of the pandemic, we will face, let's say, in five or 10 years, not now. Ilka, let me ask you about the individual level. I mean, I remember my German grandmother, my mother, and others from the generations who lived through World War II learning to be more cautious with money. I mean, they were incredible savers when I compare it, for example, to my son or to people even of my generation. Has the coronavirus pandemic created that kind of saving or frugality uh, in generations, I mean, younger generations, I should say, than those that went through World War II. Are you seeing any of that? Actually, I have to support with what Miguel has just said, Soraya, because uh, what we can see from our data is that um, basically there has been the same movement as in years before. So general, we observe coming from the life insurance department at an age of like between 30, 35 Uh, most people start to think about their future. And um, these figures haven't changed over time so much. And the pandemic recently hasn't influenced that um, either. Actually, we can see that um, our gross premiums have been quite stable last year, which we also found astonishing um, during the pandemic. And the lapse rate hasn't risen. So we think that there might be some deferral in the contracts, but we do not see that people are taking out their money of their private pensions. So, so far, I think this is quite a a comfortable um, situation. But of course, what we have to do, and I think that is also a very political concern, how do we deal in schools with financial literacy? How do we incentivize younger people to already think about old age? Because at the age of 20, uh, the retirement age is far, far, far away. So if you are supposed to start early, what are the incentives that can be given? And I think this is something we need to talk about. We need to talk about school curricula and um, how to to prepare younger people for life. So I think still we are a savings nation, as uh, Michael has just pointed out. And people are actually at the moment are hoarding money. Um, we see less consumption during the pandemic and more savings. So I think this is a very rational economic behavior at that time. But we have to make sure that the younger generations understand the necessity of taking care of old age provisions. And I think this is a large um, social political task. Concerns about money for retirement have actually led to a kind of fun, what I like to think of as a fun phenomenon, and that's people moving abroad to retire. That's what I did, basically. I'm going to stay in Germany and retire here on what I saved in America, basically. Uh, So let me just ask Megan first about how many Americans are doing this, and what are some of the countries that top the lists as retirement destinations? It is sort of a fun trend, isn't it? I would definitely love to retire abroad myself, although I've got a number of years ahead of me before that can happen. So I think that it's it's one of those trends that we've seen, you know, continue to increase in speed, although the destinations do tend to shift a little bit. You do have several publications in the U.S. that regularly put out lists around the best destinations to retire. Certainly Portugal is very popular. We've seen that a lot of South America 
American countries, probably because they're a little bit closer to friends and family still in the US. So places like Costa Rica have been very popular in years past. I think that there's also though an increasing level of interest in ensuring that the folks who are retiring abroad have adequate access to health and medical services as well as you know, sometimes language barriers. I know that um, one of the more recent places that seems to have become very popular prior to the pandemic was places like Vietnam and things like that. And so uh, obviously, you know, lots of very uh, tropical destinations. Uh, I would love to see folks uh, retire on the beach somewhere. That seems very lovely. Um, but I will point out that you know a lot of these places, they may be uh, more affordable potentially um, in the short term. But we have seen, of course, the horror stories, if you will, of folks who have retired abroad and you know it didn't go well. So it is by no means a solution for everyone. But if you can do it and it works out for you. It seems like a wonderful way to spend your twilight years. Michael, what about Germans? Are retirees from this country choosing to live abroad because it's cheaper? And what are the countries uh, that they are drawn to if this, in fact, is a phenomenon here? I don't want to bore you too much with figures and statistics, but just to get a feeling what this issue means in Germany. I mean, Germany is a deeply, heavily integrated country in Europe, though there's a lot of back and forth and we have a common labor market all over Europe and so on. But if it comes to German nationalities spending their retiring phase abroad, then we talk about a roughly 250,000 people. And if we then look into the countries they are going to, the ranking list, first country is Switzerland, second country, Austria, third country for Germans is the United States of America, fourth Spain, France, Netherlands. These are the countries where people, where Germans spend, if they go abroad, where they spend uh, their retiring time. So we cannot see a huge movement of Germans moving abroad because they can spend their retiring phase uh, on lower costs. What is the reason for that? I mean, is it that can they even move their retirement uh, money? I mean, for example, can you collect Grundrente if you live in the United States, as you mentioned? Actually, it's the other way around. A lot of foreign people spend their retiring phase in Germany. I think probably a reason is that, I mean, we talked about this 3% or 15% of people that are really close to the poverty line. So there are not so many people that really have to think about how to save money, how to save costs, because they don't have the money. Many people, most people in Germany have enough money also after retiring to live their life. I would like to add an aspect, Soraya, because yeah. Megan touched upon that. So I think one main issue um, for staying in Germany, not moving abroad, and Michael has mentioned um, Switzerland, um, these are countries with a very good healthcare um, system. And the older you get, the happier in general you become to have a well-working doctor's network around you. So a lot of people really do estimate um, what they have here, which is an important aspect, and it's a cost aspect at old age. So I think this is, we're talking about social security and about pensions here today, but I think healthcare um, does play an important role in that whole debate too. 
I just wanted to emphasize what Ilka just said. Uh, that is a big issue. If you look at the at this country, Switzerland, Austria, Spain, France, Netherlands, they have comparable health systems uh, like we have it here in Germany. Great. So we have time for one more question, which I'm going to pose to each of you. And since you're all experts, I figure this is a good opportunity for the listeners to get some advice from each of you, people who are perhaps still years off from retiring. So what is the key piece of advice each of you would give to these people so they can better prepare for retirement? And we'll start with Ilka. Start at an early age. And really try to make sure that you have a certain amount that you can reserve from your current um, gross income for old age. Um, I would also add, um, don't forget to live, but don't forget that you have or that you want to live um, at old age and that we're all getting older. So the longer we live, um, the healthier we want to stay and the more money we need for old age to be able to afford what we are looking for. That would be my advice and make use of all the governmental support that you get, really try to find a good combination of all three pillars and never ignore private savings. Michael, what's your advice? I completely agree with what Ilka said. I would add another point that is, if it comes to your private savings, pay attention to return rates, but don't gamble. GameStop or Wirecard is not a solution. And I would add another advice to the more elder people, a small saving plan for your little ones, your children, your grandchildren could be a great help. That's it. Well, great advice. Megan, what would you recommend from the United States? I think Ilka's advice around saving early cannot be emphasized enough. I think we tend to forget the power of compound interest and how much it can make a difference. I know some economists have said that millennials who are now between the ages of 25 and 40 should be saving about 40% of their take-home pay in order to be able to retire at the age of 65 comfortably. That is a really daunting task. And I want to emphasize that that means a lot of other things go out the window if you are needing to save that amount of money. But every little bit counts. And certainly the earlier you start, the bigger that return can potentially be. So I think it's one of those things where you do need to make sure that you are thinking about the future. I know that Fidelity and a few of the other big retirement folks in the U.S., estimate that about 15% of your income is about where you should aim for. I think that makes a lot of sense. And keep in mind that 15% of your take-home pay isn't really all that much. But if you really can't afford that, start with a dollar, $5, $50, $100, whatever the case may be that you can afford, put that money aside. When it comes down to it 20, 30, 40 years down the line, it will make a difference in your retirement and being able to do and accomplish what you want to do in your later years. Sage advice from Megan Lenhart, senior money reporter with U.S. broadcaster CNBC. My other guests were Ilka Huben, head of pensions policy at the German Insurance Association, and Michael Häuser, research director of the German Institute for Wealth Creation and Retirement Insurance. Thanks for being on Common Ground. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for this interesting discussion. Yes, thank you so much from my side. 
Our senior producer is Dina El-Sayed, and I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi Nelson. Thank you for listening, and please join us on Mondays for new episodes of Common Ground. Our program is made possible through a grant administered by the German Ministry for Economic Affairs and Energy. Thank you also to our partners, the German Marshall Fund and Berliner Zeitung English Edition. You can download all of our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to check out our website, commongroundberlin.com. 